Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, we pray your blessing upon this word. We pray that your word would be a good seed planted in good hearts that would bring forth a fruit and a harvest that glorifies your name. We pray that our hearts would be lined up to your word, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet so we not sin against you. Father, we pray that you would bless the words of Dr. R.T. Kendall and that they would minister to the body of Christ, to Spring of Life Fellowship, to our families in our homes. In Jesus' name we pray. And so we welcome Dr. R.T. Kendall. Amen. Well, thank you, Dr. Joaquin Molina, for inviting me to share in this service with you. Uh, you're my special friend, and I have, I believe, a special relationship with the Spring of Life Church. I don't know if you remember this, but all this began with Joyce Meyer. Yes, some of you, I don't know how many or who, uh, went to Orlando some years ago to hear Joyce Meyer and I was her guest, and I spoke that day for her on total forgiveness. Well, apparently uh, some of you liked it and found out I lived in Key Largo. Uh, today we live in Tennessee, but then we live in Key Largo. And so I was invited just to come up and preach for you. And uh, I'll never forget, some of you will remember this, I wanted you to know that I love Cubans, and that's the truth. And in order to prove it, I said I love Cuban music. And so I mentioned uh, Cuban uh, band leaders, Fajardo, uh, Arajon, Arajon uh, Orchestra Riverside. And uh, I thought that would impress you, and it went real quiet. And uh, Joaquin explained later, he said, uh, the truth is, when Cubans get saved, they give up that kind of music. <laughs> and I felt terrible. But then the proof that you forgave me, uh, when I come now to see you, you play Cuban music for me. And I love it. And you know what? You've got there Gerardo Rodriguez, Rodriguez, best trumpet player in the world today. And I heard him when I was there last, and I want you to know I just... Loved him, and he sends me stuff once in a while. I hope you're there today. And I don't know if you're going to recognize this jacket, but also <laughs> I got this from you. That is, somebody there, I hope you're watching, gave me this jacket. And uh, so uh, I guess I have to come back uh, just to get more clothes. Uh, one other story that I think will make you smile. The first time that we came there, went out to lunch, and uh, Dr. Molina Sr., who sat next to me at lunch, said, so do you really know Joyce Meyer? I said, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Oh, that's nice. And, and I, I could tell he wasn't sure if I really knew her, so I got out my cell phone, and I, and I dialed her number. And uh, I said, Joyce, it's RT. Uh, how's Dave? Fine, good. Well, uh, let me tell you why I phoned. I said, I'm sitting with a man who came to hear you in Orlando. We're now in Miami, and he doesn't think I know you. So I figured by phoning you, he would believe me. Uh, anyway, sorry to trouble you. That's it. God bless you. Goodbye. And then you know what Dr. Melita said to me? He said, how do I know you just talked to Joyce Meyer? <laughs> I got out my cell phone, dialed it again. I said, Joyce, <laughs> it's me again. Sorry. My friend doesn't think I really talked to you. So... <laughs> Would you kindly speak to him? And so I gave him the phone, and he talked, and listened. he looked at me, and he said, that's Joyce Meyer. I said, oh, now you believe me. Well, anyway, greetings to all of you. Uh, by the way, Dr. Molina, thank you for the Guavavera, if I'm pronouncing it right, shirt you gave me. Uh, it's getting old and tattered. I've got to come back, and maybe you'll give me another one. All right, enough of that. Last time, I believe... Dr. Joaquin Molina spoke to you on warped worship. 
And he asked me if I would speak on genuine worship. And so I said, yes, I will do that. Well, I've never preached a sermon like this before, as far as I know, a sermon on worship. So I began to pray, Lord, help me to know just what to use. And, and I want you to know, this is brand new, never preached before. This is for Spring of Life Church in Miami, and I'll probably never use it again. But I spent several hours yesterday, and I hope that what I share will be a blessing. Now, I'm reading John chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 23. Jesus is talking to the woman of Samaria. And she has just said to him, I perceive that you're a prophet, and now wants to impress him with a little bit of knowledge she has. And she said, our fathers worship on this mountain. Uh, by the way, I've been to that very area. I know the mountain she's talking about. Uh, and, and then she added that you Jews worship in Jerusalem. And at that point, here's what Jesus said. The, the day is coming, the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Well, that's the text. And this is what I want to try to explain. Two things. First, the order of worship. And that refers to the fact that Jesus said worship in spirit and in truth, not truth and spirit, but there's a, a reason for the order, spirit and in truth, and then I'll come back to the objective or the purpose of worship. Why worship God? Well, first of all, we must worship in spirit and in truth. Is the order important? And I begin to ask, why didn't you say, Lord, in truth and in spirit? Now, he might have, but it would change everything. And I think this is very important. Now, some of you may know that I have a ministry. I've preached all over the world. The theme, my DNA, I guess you could call it, is Word and Spirit. That's what I preach, that we need Word and Spirit. Some are Word churches, some are Spirit churches, and I'm calling for both. And then I put the order Word and Spirit, and there's a reason. Because in that case, you've got to begin with the gospel and make sure that it is preaching the power of the Spirit. But Jesus is doing something different. He is wanting to introduce to this woman of Samaria the nature of the true God. See, this woman had no knowledge of God at all. And in fact, she thought that it's very important that you have a place where you worship. And he says, our fathers work. She said, our fathers worship in this mountain, you Jews say it's going to be in Jerusalem. And she knew nothing about the nature of the true God. So the first thing Jesus says is God is spirit. That means he's invisible. So you don't go to a place. He's invisible. He's eternal. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And it doesn't matter where you worship. But then the fact that he's invisible means that you worship in faith. Faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By the way, there are basically two worldviews when it comes to faith. One is the secular atheist view. I will believe it when I see it. Uh, and that is the way the atheist looks at it. If you can't see it, you don't believe it. And this is the, the, the rationale for the Jews who crucified Jesus. They looked at him on the cross and said, come down from the cross so we can see and believe. Well, had they done that, they would have seen, but you couldn't call it faith then. Because if they believe because they see, it's not faith anymore. Because the faith that God recognizes is the faith where you believe the Word. And you don't have the evidence, but it's the witness of the Spirit in the heart. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables you to have faith. And so this is why Jesus said that 
God is spirit. And we must recognize. And therefore, when we worship, we worship in spirit and in truth because it is the power of the Holy Spirit that enables you to come into the presence of God. Jesus is wanting us to know something about worship. You should experience God when you worship. You should feel Him, yes. Sense His presence. Now, if it had been truth and spirit in that order, it means you start out with just cold intellectual truth. Uh, you don't feel anything. You just repeat what you've heard. Uh, an example, and, and I don't mean to be unfair, but our Catholic friends, when they go to Mass, <laughs> they just repeat what they've heard. It's, uh, they say, the Our Father, uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, uh, Hail Mary, Mother of God, and it's all wrote, uh, and it's, they're out, and it's done. Now, there are, I want to make clear, not only many good Catholics, many born-again Catholics, I believe that, and just as there are many Protestants, and there are unsaved Protestants, so I'm not in any way wanting to put down a Catholic. I'm just making the point that their Mass, they're in and out, they repeat what they have done before, they'll repeat it again. The kind of worship that God is looking for is in spirit and in truth in that order, because by faith we come, you see. So the biblical view of faith is when you believe without seeing. The secular view, you see it and then believe it, but then it's not really faith. For it to be real faith, you believe because you believe the Word, and it's something that happens in the heart. You actually sense God. And that is what God wants. This is genuine worship. And so Jesus is introducing something about the nature of God. Now, you take the world knows nothing about the true God. This Samaritan lady, uh, she was going to be converted in a few moments. But at that point, she knew nothing about the true God. Uh, let me tell you how the world or pagans see God. Psalm 115. Uh, verse 2, this is what the psalmist said. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Says the psalmist, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. But to those who don't know the God, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human ha hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. Uh, they have ears, but they don't hear. Noses, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. They do not walk, uh, but they do not make a sound in their throat. So those who make them become like them. Uh, so do all who trust in them, in idols. That's the false God. But you see, the true God is in invisible. And we believe he's there by faith. And God ordained that we trust Him by faith. That means believing Him, and we don't have the evidence. Well, the world will say, well, you're crazy. How could you ever do anything like that? But the witness of the Holy Spirit is so powerful when you hear the word preached that you respond to this, and you want to worship a God like this. And though the, though the world can't understand it, God becomes very real. I mean, more real to us in the spirit than things in the world are to those who don't know God. Well, now, this is the thing. Jesus is telling us something about the true nature of God, and he's introducing worship. Uh, you know, God said to Moses, no one can look at my face and live. You find that in Exodus Chapter 33, I'll share something with you. A number of years ago, I was on a plane from New York to Miami. And my reading that day, I, I have a Bible reading plan. I hope you do. I think everybody should have a Bible reading plan. Uh, so many Christians today don't know their Bibles. They don't read their Bibles. I'm sure that's not the case with you spring of life people. Well, 
I follow a plan that I've used for years, uh, d designed by Robert Murray McShane, the Scottish preacher. You didn't have to. You don't have to use mine, but that's the one I use. Well, that day on the plane, I was reading my Bible, and I was reading at Exodus chapter thirty-three, Exodus chapter thirty-three, and it's when God had said to Moses that He was pleased with Moses, and. Uh, Moses then responded, and he put it like this in verse uh, 11, and then in verse 13, he said, if I have found favor in your sight, and then he puts a request. You know, I had read that passage many, many, many times. The wonderful thing about the Bible, you can read the same passage, and much later you read it, and you see something that you've never seen before. Well, that day, I was so exercised, uh, gripped by what Moses said. He said, if you really are pleased with me, then here's what I want. And then what Moses asked for convicted me. I thought, you know, if God said to me, RT, I'm pleased with you, and then you can name what you want, I'm ashamed to say I don't think I would have asked for what Moses asked for. This lets you know why God used Moses, why he was the greatest leader of men in world history. Uh, by the way, do you have any idea, without turning to your Bibles real fast and looking at Exodus 33:13, do you know what Moses said? If you are pleased with me then, and by the way, what if God came to you and said to you, I'm pleased with you, what would you like for me to do? And now you can ask God for anything in the world, and he's going to give it to you. What would you ask for? Think about that. What would you ask for? You know, I've put this to different people. Uh, I said to one person, if you could have anything from God, and you could just have it. If he, and he, he says, I'll give it to you. He wants to, well, to win the lottery. I said, well, that's not very pleasing to God. Another said, uh, for good health. Well, I can understand that. Another said uh, to pray for my daughter who's backslidden. That was a good request. But what did Moses ask for? He said, Lord, if I please you, show me your ways. Think about that. You know, Moses already knew more about God than anybody, and yet he felt there was more. He wanted to know more of God's ways. And from that moment... I have begun praying, and that was years ago. I pray every day, Lord, show me your ways. Show me your ways. And then later on in that chapter, Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And that's where you have this verse where Moses uh, was told by God, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. In other words, God is invisible. And this is the first thing we need to see about God. And Jesus was, you could say, spoon-feeding her, her, giving her just something about the true God. She didn't have an, a clue who the true God was. Uh, but later on, because of his prophetic word to her and he understood her background and told her things about herself, she went into the town and, and says, come see a man that's told me everything <laughs> There is about myself, and they all want to find out what Jesus found out about this woman. Anyway, before it was over, not only was the woman converted, but the whole town. And so now we know that Jesus really is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. It all begins, in this case, when they began to understand the nature of God. And I think this is what is needed today so much. People just don't understand who God is. So if you're going to worship, you want to worship the true God. You don't want to worship a false God. Well, there's another interesting thing about worshiping in, in spirit. You may know that in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, John, who was one of the 12 disciples, he's now an old man, and he's on the Isle of Patmos, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. 
Now that's the key point. He was in the Spirit. You say, are there times when we're not in the Spirit? Well, yes and no. There's a sense in which we're always in the Spirit if we're saved because you have the Holy Spirit. He never deserts you. But then there's such a thing as when God comes in a special way. He comes in power. And that's what happened to John that day. He said, I was in the Spirit so much so. He said, I heard a voice behind me. And then he said, I turned to see the voice. You can't see a voice. But what John heard was so real, he wanted to see it. And this is the thing. What was it that he saw? And then John said, when I saw him, namely Jesus, he said, I fell at his feet as though dead. Dear friends, spring of life, that's worship. I fell at his feet as though dead. And what calls it? He says, when I saw him, when I saw Jesus, when you get a glimpse of God, and this was the glorified Lord, eyes like a flame of fire, feet like fine brass, his voice is the sound of many waters. I don't understand all of that. I've tried to preach from it a few times over the years, but all I know is to get a glimpse of the true God in heaven, but in an apocalyptic form, these are symbols that show what Jesus is like. And John said, when I saw him, if you could just put a period right after him, when I saw him, I think, what would that have been like just to see him? But then the effect, he said, I fell at his feet as though dead. And that, as I said, is worship. But there's an interesting thing that was going on. Do you realize that the fear of God came on John? This is part of the reason he fell as dead. He, he was scared to death. He was scared to death. How do we know that? Because Jesus immediately put his right hand on John and says, fear not. He knew that John was afraid. And I find this so interesting. What needs to happen, in my opinion, to the church today is a restoration of the fear of the Lord. Dear friends in Miami, there's no fear of God in the nation and very little fear of God in the church, speaking generally. And true worship, true worship will bring about the fear of God and the sense of awe. Do you realize on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came down, 3,000 converted, and then we're told in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, fear, Greek word phobos, sometimes translated awe, A-W-E, awe, fell on every soul. You see, that is the result of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus is teaching us about worship. We begin with the Spirit. And after all, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draw him. And that is a reference to the drawing power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> no one can seek after God except by the Spirit. In fact, Paul said no one seeks after God because in the flesh, uh, it doesn't cross your mind. We're born dead in trespasses and sins until the Spirit quickens us. And so if you are worshiping God in the Spirit today and you're experiencing Him, it's because you've been quickened. You've been born again. And you know the true God. And this is where you begin. You worship in spirit and in truth. But, you see, this doesn't mean, listen carefully, that there cannot be joy and excitement in worship. Of course there can. 
But here's the thing. We never lose sight of who God is in our joy, in raising our hands and enjoying worship. We're still aware that the God of the Bible is a God who wants to be worshipped for being like he is. Be very careful here. Don't picture a God that you hope is this way or that way. No. You want the true God, don't you? This is why Jesus added, you must worship in the spirit and truth. And so we're going to come to that in a moment. But you see, the reason for the order of worship, Jesus listed the spirit first because we want to experience the presence of God. And so you can only get into the presence of God by the Holy Spirit. So let's say he had put truth first. Well, you know, the danger would be that you approach God in a cold, intellectual manner. It'd be all head knowledge. Is that what you want? Just knowledge of the head? Knowledge that's in your brain? Certain facts about God? Uh, no. This is why Jesus doesn't want us to begin with just intellectual truth. Certain statements that can be made about God. Uh, some prefer that. There are those who like, I don't mean to be unfair, but they like a liturgical kind of worship. They like something that appeals to their intellect or to their culture. Uh, uh, but no, you see, the worship, genuine worship, is when you are approaching the living God who wants to be real, and you need to be conscious of his presence. So there's something about worship. It's not just an intellectual thing. You are actually sensing God. You feel him. And it is experience. And that is what Jesus wants for all of us. And so this is why I believe that he listed the spirit first. God is spirit. They that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But now, what is the objective of worship? Well, this is why he adds the words, and in truth. Why did he say that? I believe I know. To make sure you're worshiping the true God. You see, the God of the Bible is a God of truth. It is impossible for God to lie. Wonderful thing you can be assured of. God will not deceive you. He will not lead you astray. He has a way of making sure that you realize you're not being deceived and you're worshiping the true God. This means, by the way, that there is a body of truth. That means certain statements that are true about God. Uh, I don't know whether you have ever heard the expression propositional revelation. You need to know that term if you don't know it. Proposition means certain statements. For you to know it's the true God, certain statements that are true can be made to make sure you're not worshiping an idol or you're not worshiping trees or flowers. Uh, there's a teaching or philosophy called pantheism. And God is everywhere. God is in everything. No, that's not the true God. And so in order that you may know you're worshiping the true God, uh, you need to know certain things. There are statements that can be made that are true that will identify truth and let you know you're not being deceived. Let me give you the statements. And by the way, we're talking five statements today. How to know you're worshiping the true God. First, the true God has sent his son into the world to become a man and yet became God in the flesh and to die on a cross for our sins that we might go to heaven. That's the first thing you need to know. You ask, am I really worshiping the true God? Well, the first thing, he has a son. 
He's called the eternal Son. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. It, the Holy Spirit is eternal. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the God of the Bible became a man. He's the God-man. That means that when Jesus came on this earth, he mirrored the Father. Jesus was man as though he were not God, and yet he was God as though he were not man. And so the true God of the Bible is the God-man. He died on the cross for our sins that we might go to heaven. Uh, so that's the first thing to make sure if you're asking, am I really worshiping the true God? Statement number one, he sent his son into the world, the God-man to die on the cross for our sins. The second thing to know that you're dealing with the true God is this, that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the only way you can have access to the true God and the only way you can go to heaven. You see, all other religions would say, look, it doesn't matter who you worship. Uh, there's something in all of us that wants to reach out for God and some go one way, some another, but it's all the same God. Wrong. The true God sent Jesus who said, I am the way the truth and the life, no one, no one comes to the Father but by me. And you read it in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. So what am I talking about now? We're talking about truth. Worship of God, genuine worship. You worship in spirit and in truth. And he added that just to make sure you realize that there are many gods out there. We just read it earlier, Psalm 115. And there are many people who have ideas of God. But the true God has a son, died on the cross for our sins, and he's the only way. But here's a third thing. This may surprise you. He's a jealous God. Yes. The God of the Bible who's the only true God, is a jealous God. In fact, in Exodus 34, he says, my name is jealous. You know, jealousy is not uh, usually, uh, how shall I say it, a quality we admire in people. Uh, we're all a little bit jealous of this, and sometimes we're very jealous. Some are insanely jealous, and any bit, bit of jealousy is not good. It's not good. But God admits to his jealousy and wants you to know he is so jealous. Now, there are people who don't like that. We all know who Oprah Winfrey is. Lovely woman. We all admire her. I've watched her for years. Amazing woman. But do you realize that she was brought up in a Bible-believing church in Mississippi and heard her pastor say that God is a jealous God. And Oprah said, I don't want a God like that. And she turned her back on the God of the Bible because she said, I don't want a God who's telling me what to do. Now look, let me say this. You should love it that he's a jealous God. You should love him because that's why he loves you so much. Do you have a child? You're jealous for your child's success. You're jealous for your child's education, protection. You love your children. There's a natural jealousy. That's how much you love your children. That's the way God loves us. And be thankful. He is upfront about it, and he wants you to know that he's a jealous God, and he doesn't like it when you look toward the world. He doesn't like it when you look toward anything that displeases him. What am I saying today? We're talking about true worship. You want to worship God in spirit, but to make sure you're not being misled that it's the true Holy Spirit, you'll be led right to the God of truth. Holy Spirit will not lead you any other way. The true Holy Spirit will lead you to see the God of the Bible, the God of truth. 
And so he's a jealous God. But now, proposition number four. He is a holy God. He's a righteous God. And uh, just to let you know real quickly what righteousness is, Ten Commandments, that shows you the righteousness of God. He wants to make sure that there's no other gods uh, uh, except him that, that you worship. He will not have any graven image as he's put in the, in the early Ten Commandments. He doesn't want you to take his name in vain. He wants you to honor your parents. Long life promise to those who honor their parents. He won't have anybody killing another, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no coveting. You see, that's the God of the Bible. Well, there are those who don't like that. But you need to know this. This is why Jesus said, worship in spirit and in truth. You want to know the true God? He's a holy God. 1 Peter 1.16, be holy for I am holy. Quoting Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, be holy because I'm holy. And God wants those who worship him to be holy people. Now I come to the fifth. The fifth proposition, he is a sovereign God. Mm. Very important. That means he has a will of his own. He's not looking to you for input to know what to do. He already has decided. He has a will of his own. Uh, there is a teaching today, and I, I, I tell you, it's bad. And it's crept into the church, and some charismatics are believing it. I, I, it scares me to death how fast this teaching is growing. It's called open theism. Don't come near it. It is satanic. It is counterfeit. But there are those who believe it. That God is open and he looks to us for enrichment. He looks to us to know what to do. Can you believe? Would you want a God like that? That is wanting your opinion to know what to do next? You know, the thing I worship about God is that he's got a will. He's got a plan for you. Oh, yes. He has an opinion how you should live. And he's sovereign. He has a will of his own. Away with the teaching. And, it, and this is what pe people are teaching, that we want to change God's will. No. Oh, no. What he's decided, as it's put in Psalm 115, verse 3, Our Lord is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever he pleases. He has a will of his own. He knows what's best for you. It's his will that you are a holy person. It's a will that you do what he wants you to do. And by the way, when Moses asked to see the glory of God, the reply was, my goodness will go before you. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And that lets you know that he's sovereign. And you can't just snap your finger and expect God to jump or salute you. No. He's an awesome God. And this is what John saw when he was in the Spirit. He fell at his feet as dead. And he was scared. And Jesus said, it's okay. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm the first and the last. Let me say something at this point about a lot of worship songs. Now, I love it that the Spring of Life worship group, you got the best singers and musicians, and uh, when you bring in a little Cuban beat, you get my attention. But let me tell you, what about the words? More important than the music. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but the early Methodists, it was a denomination founded in England originally by John Wesley, he had a brother, Charles Wesley, who wrote over 6,000 hymns. And those hymns are so rich and so good. A love divine, all loves excelling. Jesus, lover of my soul. 
and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? I could go on and on. The early Methodists got their theology from their hymns. And they sang Charles Wesley, John Newton, Isaac Watts, and all these great hymns. And, you know, I don't mean to be unfair, but if you were to bother to look at the content, the words of some of the songs that are sung today, the theology is about one inch deep. And not only are we seeing a generation, they don't know their Bibles, but they don't know what they believe. And I would urge you, I don't know that you need any admonition from me on this, but be careful to know that the words in these lovely tunes, even put to a Cuban beat, that they're sound, they're solid, and reflect the God of the Bible, who is a God of truth. Well, genuine worship then will be not only in spirit, but in truth. And I need to tell you, it's Jesus who said all this. Don't forget, these words, John 4, 24, are from the lips of Jesus. And he's letting this woman of Samaria know that the God of the Bible, the true God, is spirit. It doesn't matter whether in this worship in this mountain or in Jerusalem or in Miami or London. He's everywhere. And wherever you are, you can worship God and you can find him. And you need to know that it's the God of truth that matters. Uh, and so, back to my own uh, DNA that I referred to, word and spirit. You see, I hold that so many people today, they're word churches. They just got theology and they're afraid of the Holy Spirit. And I say to some of them, uh, your trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Uh, you need the Spirit. You need to understand. And then so many spirit churches, I don't mean to be unfair, I don't think that's you, but let me just say there are those who, all they think about is the Holy Spirit and they don't have time for sound doctrine, good solid theology. We need both. And so in this statement of Jesus about worship, we need to have this conclusion together. And I just feel led, before I close today, and it's a privilege to be with you. Uh, I love Joaquin, uh, his lovely wife, Yvette. Some of you, I love uh, Joaquin's father. I hope you're there. And, uh, but I need to ask all of you this question. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? You know, that's the kindest question anybody can put to you. I don't know that you there need it, but you might ask this of people that you meet. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Say to them, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And then follow up with this question. If you were to stand before God, you will. And he were to ask you, he, he might, he could ask you this, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? So I'm asking you. If God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? And you had to have the right answer. And suppose it were the real thing, and you're standing there before God, and you're going to stand alone, by the way. You won't have your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. You won't have a friend. You won't have anybody. He's going to ask you, and you've got to come up with the right answer. And to give the wrong answer means you'd have to go someplace else. I don't want you to go there. So what would you say to God? If you say, well, I've tried to live a good life, he would say, you're lost. What if you said, well, I brought up in a Christian home. Sorry, you're lost. Or I was baptized. Sorry, you're lost. You've got one hope. When this question is put to you, why God would let you into heaven, and the answer does not come up easily, and you would say, because Jesus died for me on the cross. Listen, if that answer does not just 
roll out, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. You see, that's our only hope. Jesus' death on the cross. And that's the right answer. That's the right answer. And I just want to close with this. And then uh, Joaquin can cl close the service any way he feels led to do. But before I leave you, whoever you are, your hope was not in the blood of Jesus, but you thought of other things. I want you to pray this prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Wash away my sins by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. And as best as I know how, I give you my life. Pray that prayer. And then share it with one or two other people before this day's over. And don't be ashamed. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Don't be ashamed to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And having prayed that prayer, you're now qualified to worship with genuine worship in the Spirit and in the truth. Well, that's it. God bless you. Great to be with you. Goodbye until I see you one day. Amen. Thank you, R.T. Kendall. God bless you. And what a joy it is to receive that word. If you don't know that uh, we are on the social platforms and uh, social media at YouTube, uh, Spring of Life Fellowship, where you can watch this message or send it to a friend. You could share it. You, you could subscribe to our Facebook uh, page also, and it, it will be there. Um, and and it's, it's worth listening to several times. Uh, make it your meditation. Make Moses' prayer your prayer. Lord, um, if I please you, show me your ways. What, what a powerful revelation uh, to be in the presence of the Lord like John in Revelations and, and to fall upon your feet before a living God. That, that is what we're talking about. We want to be at that place on this side of eternity. Uh, we know the Bible says in Philippians that every knee shall bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. But it's better to do it on this side of eternity. If you have the opportunity to pray that prayer, uh, make it heartfelt and genuine. And so today we've had a powerful expression of the goodness, of the mercy, of the favor and faithfulness of God over this house of worship. We've had uh, an invitation to come to know what genuine worship is. And many of you are trying to measure what this looks like through the life of a warped worship. You look into the life of other people and you say, why do they live like that? Or why are they consistent? Or why do their words not match? Listen, you're going to be measured in heaven by Jesus Christ. So don't measure yourself on earth by other people's expression of faith. You make your faith and your worship genuine. And I want to finish today, a glorious day there in Psalm 117. Uh, Psalm 117 only has two verses. And you should memorize this psalm. Um, it's a short psalm. It says, praise the Lord, all you peoples. Give him praise. Laud him. Lift him up, all you peoples. And then verse 2 says, for the Lord's loving kindness, his love, the expression of his kindness towards us has been great. He's worthy of your worship. The word worship means to give worth, give value, give priority. And the truth of the Lord endure forever. 
praise the Lord. Those are the two verses of Psalm 117, and it encourages all peoples everywhere. The Bible says, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Even in times of trial, you are king of glory, king of kings, Lord of lords. We lift you high above all things that are happening in our lives, in this generation, in this time. We pray for peace upon this nation. We pray for deliverance upon this nation. We pray for wisdom upon the leaders, upon those that you have appointed and placed in uh, authority over this land. Father, we pray that they might lead well so that we might enjoy prosperity and peace. Allow your goodness and the fear of the Lord to come upon the people of the United States of America. We pray that the house of worship would be the highest mountain in the last days. And people shall run to this mountain and say, let us be instructed by the Lord God Almighty. Let your commandments be our way of life. And we pray, Father God, for victory over all our enemies. We declare healing in Jesus' name through this broadcast to all houses that are stricken with the infirmity of the coronavirus, Lord. We declare that the name of Jesus is greater than any other name. And in the name of Jesus, we declare healing, divine intervention, and the power of God that raises the dead to come upon those people who listen to this service. In Jesus' name we pray. We pray prosperity. We pray, Father God, success. We pray, uh, we pray uh, prominence and influence, Lord. Expand our spiritual territory in this time. We declare you to be victorious, God over all and in all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Uh, we will see you on Wednesday night uh, via live stream from Spring of Life Fellowship Miami. God bless you and to him be all the glory and the praise. Remember, with the Lord, all things are possible. God bless you. I love you and miss you. Take care.